Wowzers, golly gee, it's almost time for the sock hop. I gotta pick up Sally at six if we're gonna make to get a vanilla melt before the soda jerk uh, at the soda jerk before the dance. I sure hope Dad lets me borrow the Bel Air. I've been practicing my dance moves all week. I could do the twist, the jitterbug, and twerking. Shit's gonna be tight. But I have, <clears throat> I have to uh, tune into my favorite radio show before I go. The Attack of the Killer podcast, brought to you by Salem Cigarettes. Because this episode, they're going to be talking about films from 1959 on this episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Welcome to another vintage episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I'm your host, Insane Mike. This is episode 282, and we are going to be talking about horror films from 1959. And when I say episode 282, <laughs> that actually means 283. Yep. Everybody knows that. Anyway, so off to a roaring awesome start. Oh, welcome back, Mike. Welcome hey, back. Thanks. Attack of the Killer podcast is a horror movie podcast. We're a group of friends. We get together, we pick a topic, and we discuss films within that topic, whether it be, you know, 1959 or whatever. Um, so <laughs> You know, all those other things. <laughs> but why 1959? That's a good question. Maybe, was that when you were born? No, yeah, it was not. You graduated. And it starts. It fucking starts. <laughs> yeah, well, you knew it. But... Maybe by the end of this episode, you will totally understand why we picked 1959. Now, if you like the show, um, I ask you to consider on supporting us. You can go to jointheattackers.com and check out the tiers, and you can pick one and then show your support. And when you do support the show, you become a member of the Attack of the Killer podcast family that we call the Attackers. When you become an attacker... You are able to get all kinds of extra content and treats. Yes, treats. Mm. You can get bonus episodes, our videos like Insane Mike's Women in Top Ten list, video updates, and killer critiques. You can get your very own membership card, certificate, and sticker. Uh, there's also exclusive invites to our watch parties, our monthly horror hangouts, and even our exclusive chat called Attack of the Killer Chat. There are so many perks of becoming an attacker, so just go to jointheattackers.com and pick the tier to receive the content you want. You can become an attacker like these awesome people. All right, I just wanted to give a shout out to, we got Jacob McLaughlin, Timothy Lennerer, Roman Doppelfeld, Larry Watnabe, Brett Royer, Seth Key, Jessica Irish, Chris Cook, Brian Godsell, Stefan Sitter, Brandy Moore, Andrew Moeller, Rod Hutchinson, Carmen DeHaig, Abraham Arellano, Jacob Book, Andrew Bentler, Casey Kelderman, Tony Miller, Mike Clayton, Rose Talashoma, Marcus Rude, Abe Kirshner, Lisa Cavalier, Holly Berg, and Emily Randolph. I've heard a couple of those. Yeah. They're yes. Cool. So thank you all, attackers, for supporting the show. And I will thank you, too, if you go to jointheattackers.com and become a member of the Attack of the Killer podcast family. And now, it is time to introduce you to the podcast crew. 
He truly believes there is more stuff on TV on the 19, in the 1950s, mostly because today's TVs can't support the weight. Andy. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. He shares the same blood type with Fonzie from Happy Days. They're both type A. Jason. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. He's one cool cat. He's not He's not a wet rag. He's the bee's knees. He real. He really razzies my berries. Tad. Hey. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> Let's get serious for a moment. Oh. Attack of the Killer podcast is sponsored by Shudder. Shudder is the best of the best in horror streaming services. Classic horror films to Italian giallo movies, podcasts, original programming, you name it. So much great content that would appeal to any and any and every type of horror fan. If you don't have Shudder, you should. If you're still not sure, you can check them out for a month for free, thanks to us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. If you enter our promo code AOTKP, you will get a month of Shudder for free. Sign up for Shudder today, and you won't regret it. Speaking of regrets, here's Tad with what we watched. What we watched. Well, to lift the curtain a little bit, it's been a while since we recorded. It's actually been an extra week since we've recorded, so I'm expecting that this might go a little bit longer. But Andy, what have you watched? Okay, I got a little bit of a list here. Um, I, I, of course, uh, went and saw uh, Scream 6. Enjoyed it. Um, it's it's a major... It has a major uh, tip of the cap to all the previous films, which which I really enjoyed. Um, I, won't, I won't say that it's uh, predictable, but it almost has... Uh, it has a very similar storyline to... Uh, the the previous uh, to a previous scream film, and I'll just I'll just leave it at, leave it at that. I'll let you guys figure it yeah, out. Yeah, no um, spoilers, Andy. What? I'm not. I'm not. Um, <laughs> have any of you guys seen it? Nope. Saw it opening night, baby. Okay. All right. I recorded um, a podcast and released it already on the movie. Uh, <laughs> all right, so if you want right. my thoughts, uh, go listen to first time podcast available on the PFPN. Plug. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't. Uh, yeah, go listen to it. I'm not going to talk about it on here. You got to go listen to that episode. Uh, all right, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I I think you I I recommend it. It's it's good. Um, before that, I watched the the previous Scream just as a as a primer and uh, hint that will help. Um, uh, I saw cre- what? Nothing. I went also went and saw Creed three. Uh, I know that Tad's a Rocky fan. Uh, Saw that last night. Saw it last nice. night. Yep. Nice. Mister um, Moneybags going in the movie. I uh, <laughs> I actually prefer the second Creed to this one, but it's it's still pretty good. Uh, yeah, missed, it's, I it's missed a, the loan. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Uh, no. Uh, Rocky. Um, First time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
it's uh, also uh, Michael B. Jordan's <coughs> directorial debut, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's not bad, but I, I prefer uh, the previous film. Um, I also watched uh, Sick on Hulu. I think Tad has seen this, right? Yep. Have any of you other guys seen it yet? No. Uh, okay. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good. I, en- I enjoyed it. Um, Pretty it's sick, also, bro. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, it's also very relevant to, you know, the times now and I'll leave it at that. You'll be able to, you'll be able to, uh, pinpoint it w- once you watch it. Uh, the wife and I watched Slayers on Hulu. Have you got any of you guys seen this? No. Sla- nope, Slayers? Like yeah. I have not seen it. Um, it's basically uh, it's a it's a vampire movie with Thomas Jane and Malin Ackerman, um, and it's about these these vampires, you know, wanting to continue their life, and they they have to do it with like a specific bloodline, and basically Thomas Jane is like the prototypical, you know, my daughter died and I have to get revenge vampire killer. I mean the the one thing I have to complain about this movie is that the character development isn't very. Uh, it's not very good and it's very, very fast moving. Um, it's watchable, but it's not great in my, in my opinion. Uh, you can check it out. Um, I also, since I've been home a lot, I also watched the first and second season of Mindhunter, which I fucking loved. So good. Um, fantastic. Everything, everything in that series is just on point with, with the time, you know, all the cars, every piece of furniture, every piece of, you know, kitchenware, the, the houses, you know, it, everything is all in the 70s. And that's what I loved about it, which turned out the more I looked into like season three, what I love about it is the exact same reason why they can't, why they didn't make another, they're not making another season because the production cost is like insanely high to do that kind of stuff, which is kind of bums me out. But I really enjoyed that. Um, plus, you know, it's David Fincher. Um I watched, uh, since I'm on an Italian movie kick, I watched Anthro, uh, hopefully I'm saying this right, Anthrophagus? Close enough. Anthropomorphous. Yeah, well, basically it's, from what I can tell, it's, I'll put it to you like this. It's like Happy New Year, only there's a cannibal on the island. Uh, It's not bad. It's not great either. Um, I also, (laughs) I've been wanting to see this forever. And it's a very '70s grindhouse movie. It's called uh, "Amazing Mr. No Legs." Oh, I've heard of that. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a crime movie, but uh, basically, and it's about drug smuggling. And the head drug dealer, he has this enforcer, who, and I always thought I was always under the impression that this enforcer, this this the guy, Mr. No Legs, was like the protagonist, but he's not. He's like the he's like the lead baddie. He's the enforcer for uh this drug cartel and he he has two double barrel shotguns in the armrest of his wheelchair how could you not want to watch this <laughs> this is awesome and and it even gets better right it turns out the boss turns on this this uh mr no legs and uh he gets knocked out of his chair and he starts doing uh kung fu next to this uh um this poolside and he kicks these guys' ass all while doing like the Bruce Lee, you know, Wah! bullshit. It's hilarious to watch. I don't care if I'm going to hell for laughing at that shit. Cause it's funny. Um, <laughs> and here, here's, here's the capper. 
You know who it was directed by? Hmm. Rico Browning. The Creature of the Black Lagoon directed this shit. Nice. Wow. All right. Okay. Now, R.I.P. He just recently passed, right? Yeah, maybe that's why I've heard of that movie before, I think. Yeah, maybe on another podcast when they talked about him passing. They yeah, it's de- definitely it's definitely worth watching, man. It's it's a, it's a good time. Um, and then I watched another movie uh, called uh, House of Darkness on Hulu, and I was so excited for this because it had Kate Bosworth and Justin Long, and it had the title that something Hammer would have used in the early seventies. This movie. Pisses me off. <laughs> oh no. It should have been called Weird Awkward Talking Heads in a cat in a mansion, and that's all it was. It was basically Justin Long trying to get laid with this chick, and then these more girls keep coming in and they just ha- keep having weird co- nothing happens. They just talk. All it is is just, you know, and it's I was so bummed out. Because, they, like I said, they were checking off all the boxes, Justin Long, you know, scary house, blah, blah, blah. But it was just them just talking the whole time, just having weird conversations. And, you know, you don't have to be a literary genius to where they're going, you know, when they say their names. These girls' names are Mina and Lucy. Bram Stoker's Dracula. This is what these tip in the cap to. It, it ends up these... Three sisters are, are vampires, and they end up biting Justin Long in the end. And the gore there at the end is actually pretty good, but then just the movie ends. So basically, it is literally an hour and 25 minutes of fucking talking just to get to some good stuff. But there is good stuff? For like maybe two or three minutes at the end when just, I'll, I'll spoil it because fuck this movie. Um, it's basically Justin Long gets bit in the neck and he does a little bit of hallucinating mid, mid, mid term in the movie, which isn't even very good. Anyway, do not watch this movie. It's fucking awful. And that's what I watched. All right, Jason, I highly doubt, uh, you watch any of those movies. What have you watched? That's true. I did not. Um, I watched the whale. Fuck. Yeah. Sweet. Pretty amazing. Did you cry? Fuck yeah. Like I knew baby. it. Um, yeah, it was so freaking good. Uh, Knock at the Cabin. Oh. Loved it. I still oh, got to see that. It's on my list. Well, I, you know, Mike, it's just, I thought you were a fan. I didn't realize it was out. It's, it's well, it out is, but not for. On streaming now. Yeah. Okay. You know. Knock at the Cabin is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Been out for. It came. It went to streaming like three weeks after it hit theaters. Hmm. And then, sorry to spoil one for you, Mike, but Mike and I went and saw 65. Yay! Me too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Saved my scream money to go to 65 instead. That's <laughs> where I support. That's right. Saw them both. Well, Ted doesn't have kids, so he can afford it. So. Neither do you. <laughs> Shut up. Um, so, yeah. I don't 60, have any that I know about. 65 was amazing. Very and, fun. You know, I know it's hard to tell uh, the biases from... But, I mean, I, just as a movie, I, I had a blast. I thought it was great. Yeah. 
And I... It's action-packed. It doesn't slow down. <clears throat> I'll proudly admit that I definitely have a man crush on... We all know you do. Yeah, me. so it's like... I was going to like it anyway, no matter what. But anyway, yeah. Freaking loved it. It was great. And that's what I watched. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Mike, apparently you haven't uh, gone to the theater at all, but what have you watched? <laughs> Well, oddly enough, I also saw 65. Whoa! What? That looked like you. <laughs> yeah, it was it was awesome. It was a, definitely a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I had a couple nice little jump moments. Oh, fuck, man. Watching Jesus Jason Christ. jump out of his seat there a few times. I literally great. probably peed a little. <laughs> so I had some good misdirection um, that led to some good jumps. But, yeah, fetch were great. Definitely proud of my boys. They did an awesome job. Mm-hmm. And then the only other thing I've had a chance to see in three weeks um, <laughs> is uh, other than reruns of The Office on Comedy Central and the hotel room all week long, mm-hmm. um, was Cocaine Bear. Did go see oh, Cocaine Bear. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> that, was, that was awesome. It was everything <laughs> I expected it to be as soon as I sat down. So it delivered. And just... Pretty exciting to see Elizabeth Banks, you know, in the director's chair. And I looked; she had actually has directed quite a bit more than I thought. So, <clears throat> sadly, she doesn't make an appearance. So she's one of those actors turned directors that <laughs> doesn't force themselves into the movie. So that's, she she forced that's herself good, into the uh, Charlie's, Charlie's Angels, Angels. movie. Yeah. Oh, did she? But she she was, was Boz. Yeah. Was that any good? Because. I, I would never. S- okay. I thought well, it was all right. Oh, was it? I like Kristen Stewart, so. Yeah. That was good. Action packed. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I heard that, you know, not a lot of people, not a lot of people have. That's true. I kind of forgot it existed until I looked up what else she directed. Oh, uh, yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. A lot of really great, funny moments, but uh, a lot of, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good character moments too. That it's a good gore and lots of great gore. Very good, oh, cool yeah. gore. Absolutely, and I just I just love it because it just so felt like a nod to seventies. Even though the film is an eighties film, but it totally felt like a seventies animal attack movie to me. And I plus I think Martha Martindale genre. adds to anything. Yeah, she's awesome. Oh yeah. Anyway, that's what I watched. That's it. But, Tad, what did you watch? Oh, well, I'm going to make up for you and Jason's shortlist because uh, <laughs> I watched 49 Oscar nominees and I'm going to go through all of them. No. Uh, I'm did not that going already. to. I, no, I did not finish all of them. Like I've seen more since the last time we recorded because I had to squeeze <laughs> in as many as I could. But uh, I'm going to skip those and go straight to I saw uh, Scream 6. Really, really liked it. Had a blast in a packed theater seeing a slasher movie. I love this franchise. I love Radio Silence. is killing it. Sorry, Wes Craven, but their sequels are better than some of yours. Um, feel, I, I don't know. I, I won't get into that. You can listen to my, <laughs> my full podcast for my thoughts, but I really, really like this. And uh, taking it to, to New York, really cool idea. Well executed. Yep. Showed us... Uh, how to take a slasher sequel to New York 
<laughs> Jason Voorhees. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know Woodsboro <laughs> connected to New York. It, it doesn't. Yeah. They go yeah. there for college. So uh, oh. They took a cruise ship there, actually. Yeah, yeah just right <laughs> up the lake. Uh, and half the movie was on the cruise ship? No, that's what they, they make some jokes, like sort of nods to Jason Takes Manhattan and sort of like... <laughs> Like, a kid is watching the movie in that movie, and there's some little nods yeah, to Friday the 13th, too. Awesome. There, there's, yeah, there's a nod to Friday the 13th Part 2. There's about a million awesome horror references on a subway scene on Halloween, where, like, oh, people yeah. are wearing Halloween costumes, and it's like a Ready Player One, where you had to hit pause and, like, holy cool. shit, look at all these fucking costumes. Is that Sonic the Hedgehog? Is that the girl from Ready or Not? Is that, like, everything? Just crazy. Um but awesome. yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, and I also saw sixty-five to even out the box office. Uh, <laughs> Good. I really enjoyed that. Uh, it felt like maybe the studio tampered with it a bit because it was. Studios it was, do that. It was so short. Like mm. it, it was. was uh, uh, yeah, there was no fat on that movie. No, no like it could have used maybe a little <laughs> bit more because uh, it was like. I mean, I, I guess I sort of appreciate that it leaves a lot open to interpretation, but it's like, they don't, I mean, they don't even cook yeah. the characters. It's like, here they are. Here's the big thing that happens before the title of the movie yeah, comes up. Yeah. The, the major event happens in the movie. And then it's like right into, it, it, I hate that people are even mentioning Jurassic Park when they talk about this. Cause it's such a night and day thing just because oh, yeah. Jurassic Park wasn't the first dinosaur movie and not the only one uh this is a whole different level this is a really cool sci-fi thriller uh suspense just a lot of uh great adam driver and and very mm -hmm. awesome oh, to basically have two characters we have like a little uh cave girl with adam driver and we have some tender moments and some tense moments and uh very heavy and but like I said, it's it they do not waste a minute because the movie's so it's like ninety minutes, right? Or an, like an hour forty something. It's really short. Uh, perfect popcorn flip. They should have put this out in the summer instead of putting it up against Scream. That's really stupid of them. Yeah. Of Sony, mm -hmm. not. Do you know what the biggest thing I appreciated out of the movie is? Um... That they brought quicksand back into the yes, movies. Yes, scary. It's again. about time yes. there's quicksand again. And more than one, more more than one scene, and it definitely had a, a never-ending story moment, and then like went into a, a land before time moment. Uh, yeah, there was some yeah a moment that made Nikki almost cry, but uh, then uh, she I guess never cries. Like my my never. that's true, but um, my list is like just basically what all you guys watched. Cause then I watched cocaine bear at home last night or two nights ago. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was, I try not to let hype get to me. Get yeah. To but I just I thought the bear looked pretty silly. Like I know they're being praised for not using, they're using motion capture and not a real bear. So PETA is all about it, uh, which is fine, but it looks like, one step above a asylum movie, I felt. Uh, oh, that's kind of harsh. I mean, there, I agree. There was maybe a couple moments where CGI wise, it kind of stood out. Um, but I thought there was a lot of scenes that it looked really good. I think the biggest thing that could take you out of it being a CGI bear is that there's a lot of moments in the movie where the bear moves 
way more like superhero action fluidly poses instead of like a really clunky bear with a lot of like uh, weight doesn't feel like it has a weight to it yeah yeah yeah. um but at the same time i didn't mind um seeing you know parkour bear action you know i was cool with that and i felt like the humor for me was very off like i wanted to laugh a lot and uh the the cop that was sort of after ray liotta's character he his whole thing with like this little dog i did not laugh at all at any of that that and the the kids were the kids were funny to me the two kids like cussing and and trying coke and shit that was funny that was hilarious to me that the cop side story i did not care for i liked ice cubes kid and his his little group that his like sarcasm his stoic uh presence was really great to counteract the zaniness (laughs) of the movie yep uh i like not getting fucking stabbed (laughs) I just felt like the the humor was a bit of a miss for me in spots. Like it fell flat with that. Like I said, with that cop. But in uh, in the park ranger, I didn't like her either. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan oh. of the park ranger lady either. Um, you didn't like her. I I think I I think I see Tad's point in in at least with her character because I there was a lot of moments with her that I'm like, okay, this is supposed to be funny, but I'm not laughing. It was like they're trying to do the broken lizard thing, but it wasn't funny you know it was like oh look at like her and the she's flirting with the guy who who comes to visit you know and with a bad like bowl cut and like that yeah their chemistry was not for me she just i don't know which brandy pointed out to me after the fact that's that's one of the guys from uh that's the redheaded um uh guy from the gay couple in um um halloween modern modern family modern family yeah 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 I didn't so, even yeah. recognize him. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it I was definitely worth watching. I'm glad I didn't see it in the theater. Uh, glad I watched it at home. I'm sure in like a packed theater, it was probably a blast. You probably would have had more fun with it if you saw it in the theater. Maybe, oh, I, I but know. yeah, it was it was okay. And then I saw Creed three last night. Uh, like Andy, I, I I liked it. I, I have there is yeah. yet to be even the worst Rocky movie is a good movie to me. Um, love this franchise and. Uh, but I felt the story, even for a Rocky movie, was a bit unbelievable. Uh, yeah. A little bit of a spoiler here. Basically, like, Michael B. Jordan, who plays Adonis Creed, he's retiring. One of his uh, sort of friends from when they were kids comes back around out of prison. It's like that stereotypical thing where it's like, oh, you you left me down in prison while you went up and got rich and famous, and now I'm asking you for a handout. Um, and suddenly this thing that's haunting from his past, this guy walks from never having a professional bout to getting a title fight. And I know that's like, that's the story of Rocky, the underdog story. But as a fan of boxing and a fan of combat sports, immediately I was like, one, like that never happens. And two, like an athletic commission would never, ever, ever sanction that bout. It would just, it's impossible. It's just such a stretch to make the story that I just could not look past that, but yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, it reminds me, it takes like, kind of like the storyline of like Rocky three and combines it with the count of Monte Cristo to me. A little yeah. Bit. Yeah. I can see that where, yeah, Rocky's gotten too rich for his own good and, and is getting soft. And so, yeah, yeah something, a, a rough to retire, 
Right, and a rough, rough thing from his past. This this next big thing comes through. Yeah, but he's like I mean, clever Lang. He's the he's counter Lang. Right, and uh, I thought Jonathan Majors and and Michael B. Jordan were both awesome. Tessa Thompson's awesome. It, it it's still a great movie. Uh, some great scenes. The, the the big boxing scene at the end was they did something different for the first time, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, took it in sort of a different direction. Uh, I, I just wish boxing was as exciting as any of the fights in these movies. <laughs> these these right. guys just yeah. do not block anything, uh, just back and forth. It's awesome. But, fest. Yeah, but I, I still enjoyed it. I'm glad I saw it in theaters because I've seen uh, all the Creed movies and Balboa in theaters. So, uh, yeah, that's what I watched. Awesome. Thanks, Tad. You're welcome. Now it is time to go back, back in time, to 1959. Talk about some movies from that wonderful, wonderful year, 1959. <laughs> you sound like you remember it. Stop saying it like Don't. that. <laughs> Andy, what is the first movie we're going to be talking about? All right. Tonight we're going to party like it's 1959, and this is Horrors of the Black Museum. If you have nerve enough, come down these stairs with me to the Black Museum. And if you dare, look around this chamber of horrors. You will see the lethal possessions of a man possessed with murder. This is a U trailer advertising an X certificate film. We regret we cannot show you now the scene as it appears in the picture. You said killer strikes again. We have to tell you the story of a man whose hobby is murder. A killer who held London in terror. We repeat, as this is a U trailer advertising an X certificate film. We regret we cannot show you now the scene as it appears in the picture. Here was a modern Jekyll and Hyde who killed so that he could write with relish about his victims and his crimes. Clever. Fiendishly clever. Ingenious enough to give us the third brutal murder in two weeks. Aren't these similar to the pair you have in your black museum? Starring Michael Gough. A killer who shopped for his weapons in London's back street antique shops. To experience all the horrors of the Black Museum, you must see the complete film. June Cunningham, the blonde who got to know him too well and talked too much. You did! Oh, come on, dearie. Show me how fast you can chase me around the room now. Give me back my cake! Not until I've told you everything. Been saving it up for you. Without your cane, you're only half a man. Without your money, you'd be no man at all. Graham Kernow, the boy hypnotized into obeying his master's murderous voice. Shirley Anfield, innocent victim of young love, enticed into the nightmare horror of the Black Museum. Wait! Why did you bring a stranger down here, you stupid fool? You know I never allow any outsider to snoop around my workshop. This Black Museum is our private world. And now, thanks to you, it has been in faith. There it goes! 
right, now that the trailer has basically just told you the whole movie, I will read you the synopsis. A frustrated thriller writer wants accurate crimes for his next book, so he hypnotizes his assistant to make him commit the required crimes. Okay, um, I gotta say, three minutes in, I'm laughing my balls off, and I'll tell you why. Um, basically, when there was a girl, she gets a package, and it's a, uh, pair of binoculars and it's got knives in the eye holes and it gouges her eyes out and of course uh, her her other girlfriend's there and she sees this right and she goes out of the room and she throws her head back in such dramatic fashion before she exits the door it's hilarious Jim Carrey couldn't have done it better um this movie um has uh, was that Michael Gao is his name Okay, I didn't realize that he was uh, Alfred in the first uh, all, all of the the Tim Burton Batman's and the Joel Schumacher ones. Yep, I didn't realize that until I looked more more into this. But um, upon watching this, I realized that um, it this movie borrows quotation figure uh, quotation fingers heavily from House of Wax. You've got a guy who's got um, who's physically impaired, and then he's got like this bubbling cauldron in his you know his black museum, and then he's got a uh, an assistant which is uh, basically doing the crimes for him because he injects him with like this Doctor Jekyll whatever serum, but that's not what's important. Basically, his assistant is basically uh, Charles Bronson's role in House of Wax. And then, basically, they re- in the in the wax one he recreates the crimes, and it's just I saw a lot of similarities in this. Um, and of course, anybody that finds out what he's what he's doing gets killed too. And yeah, I mean, I I liked it. It was it was okay. Um, but yeah, I just I just thought it was a, a revamp of house. It's a revamp of House of Wax to me just told slightly different what did you guys think i totally see that yeah yeah well for me um i'm watching it and i'm comparing it a lot to and i feel like uh the director probably borrowed a lot from this from this movie and that's incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies Mm -hmm. by ray dennis Mm -hmm. deckler because that has kind of the same thing where the killer is just somebody who's normal by day but then hypnotized by night committing these these murders and in incredibly strange creatures it all takes place in a carnival where you know the you know the latter half they they end up at a carnival in um in this movie so i don't know i that's that was my comparisons also good it's a good one yeah um there's there's nothing wrong with this movie. But, but I didn't hate it. Gosh <laughs> dang, guys. I, this one, I, I, not to pick. Uh, Tad's mentioned it before where, like, you have a hard time, like, not looking at your phone. 
This one was yep. it for me, man. Yeah. Absolutely, me too. So me too. Hard. Yeah, me too. Me too. To pay time. attention. Yeah, it wasn't easy. And I didn't think anything was bad, you know, and the stuff and the stuff's cool and the killing and the stuff. You know, it's just, but man, it was hard to pay attention to. Yeah, this era of British oh. horror just focuses way oh. too much on the detective work. Yeah. And, and just long conversations. Which is fine. It's a slog. But how about that dance scene, right? Yes, I'll yes. And I yeah. love these old movies where a dance can break out at any time. <laughs> Fuck yeah! An old man swinging the cane at her when she grabs it, and she's like, just such a like badass. Like she does not take his shit. I love oh, yeah. it. And with all three of these movies tonight, there's a, I mean, a, 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 something that happens in all three of them. Is just the way a man and a woman used to kiss in the movies <laughs> back then. It was just, you just push each other's faces together and then don't do too much and then back off. Man, it's so, <laughs> I just laugh every time. It's so not real. <laughs> but anyway. And there's always the British guy with like the two streaks of gray hair down yeah. the sides. Yeah. yeah. Looking like the Green Lantern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This felt like a mod podge of several other movies from the time. Like, yeah. you know, and that's not necessarily bad. I just, uh, like Jason, I found, I struggled to pay attention where oh. the others, I did not so much. Uh, and maybe because one has subtitles. And But, I, <laughs> but out of the three, uh, probably my least favorite, but not saying it's like the, I'm not saying that as in like it's bad. I just, I probably won't go out and try to find this on Blu-ray or anything. Uh, you know, something I watched once and can check it off the list. Agreed. I'm. I feel like I'm on the same page as you guys. It's, it's a little on the sl- slow side. Um, it's not a bad movie, uh, but it is definitely on the bottom of the movies for tonight's episode. It's because cause there's some cool nuggets in there, like uh, especially when we get to some of the kills. I kind of like the, you know, knives and the binoculars gag. I dug that. Yeah. Yeah. Or when, or, or oh yeah, when the, terrifying. The the over the top cartoon um, electricity when the cop gets electrified, <laughs> lap or whatever. That Very was Looney awesome. Tunes, yeah. Oh man, that was yeah. awesome. Uh, and then the climax was, I mean, the climax lasted like ten seconds, but uh, sounds better. Um, <laughs> what? But but it was still pretty cool. So yeah. And yeah. then the uh, the prisoner with the uh, the laser eyes, the one that was psychotic, saying he was doing all the killing. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. I'm like forgetting this movie <laughs> yeah. as we talk about it. Yeah, so. I, I'm glad. Uh, I, I'm glad I'm not Andy because I would have been. I would have been like read the synopsis and been like, I don't really remember much uh, outside of I, a few key <laughs> scenes. And, yeah. uh, well, that's basically kind of what I'm going on, but my, I just couldn't get over the fact how it just, there were so many similarities to House of Wax in this for me. It was, that's what really stuck. But I, I mean, I, and I, I enjoyed m- m- a lot of the times when um, Alfred the Butler was on screen because <laughs> um, <laughs> he just screamed and yelled at everybody through this whole movie it was it and was swung awesome. canes and, and yeah. Swung his yep. yeah yep he's very dr loomis <laughs> <laughs> six times <laughs> um do we have any trivia for this one Tad? 
there is so much trivia on this movie. Uh, <laughs> I will try not to go overboard, but I, I guess since we sort of went short on it, I can read a little bit more. Um, this was the first American international release to be in both color and cinema scope. Um, this Colors is interesting. Really saturated. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like it, maybe it was like post like done, in, you know, like when you watch a movie, it's like night of living dead in color. It felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a stunt for the U.S. release by Ruth Pol- Pologue, head of AIP Publicity New York, backfired. She reported that Herman Cohen had lost the actual binoculars at the airport, unwittingly sparking oh. tabloid front-page headlines in an extensive police search, costing the city a great deal of money. Oh, man. Oops. Whoopsie. Um, Herman Cohen wanted Vincent Price or Orson Welles for the lead. Um, while he claimed they are too expensive, it is also true that by having a British actor as well as director and other crew, he could take advantage of the tax breaks provided by the Eddie Levy design to assist filmmaking in Britain. So I don't would Vincent Price or Orson Welles have added to this? Maybe, but I, the, the lead wasn't the problem for me. So yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. Um, to increase his take, Herman Cohen produced the anamorphic widescreen low-budget The Headless Ghost to serve as the bottom of a pre-packaged double feature with this film. So he made a whole other movie, a very low-budget whole other movie, just to package it with this as a double feature, which is crazy. Interesting, because that is that kind of parallels one of the other movies we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. And then the last bit I had, uh, Herman Cohen claimed that the... A hypno Vista segment was removed from television prints because people could actually become hypnotized. Oh, uh, the segment contained images that would have been too disturbing oh for American television at the time. The federal, the FCC Maybe. actually passed regulations prohibiting the showing of actual hypnosis techniques on television. Uh, give them a break, guys. It was the 50s. Yeah. <laughs> Say, William Castle didn't even have the balls to do that kind of shit. It's the same era, era when they thought comic books caused juvenile delinquencies. So. Hey, uh, yeah. You proved them wrong, Mike. That's right. <laughs> Wait, what? Awesome. Well, thanks for that uh, fun trivia. The trivia was more exciting than the <laughs> Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Jason, what's our next movie? Oh, we're talk I'm about? so excited to talk about our next movie. It's star studded. It's got Anthony Michael Hall, Justine Bateman, Michael McDonald, um, Will Ferrell, David Cross. Um, I think you watched the wrong one. Oh, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whew. Uh, we're talking about a bucket of blood. The artist, the poet. The figure model, who loves to show it. You suppose he could be physically attracted to her? No, man, he ain't the type. He don't get enough vitamin E. All these are beat. All these you'll meet in a bucket of blood. Let us make the scene. Crazy. Come, enjoy yourself. <laughs> Where the hilarious enjoy the horrifying. In a bucket of blood. No, you're gonna shoot me! Don't shoot! Come to the land of living dreams, where realists dream of the unreal. Walter, you've done something to me. Something deep down inside of my prana. Oh, Walter, I want to be with you. You're creative. 
beatniks at their bawdiest. The creative urge at its most primitive. I'm deeply moved. And I shall compose a poem. Love is art. Art is love. It's the weirdest and the wildest. I don't want to make statues anymore. I, I want to get married. To you. Nerdy Walter Paisley, played by Dick Miller. A bumbling busboy at a beatnik cafe who doesn't fit in with the cool scene around him attempts to woo his beautiful co-worker Carla by making a bust of her. When his clutziness results in the death of his landlady's cat, he panics and hides its body under a layer of plaster. Totally plausible. But when <laughs> Carla and her friends enthuse over the resulting artwork... Walter decides to create some bigger and more elaborate pieces using the same artistic process. Directed by the legend Roger Corman. Distributed American International Pictures. Budget of $50,000. Box office 180000 Made some money. Dick Miller starring role. I know that's the main reason, right? Oh, well, there's a thousand <laughs> yeah. reasons. I'll get into it. This movie's pretty great. Um... I've seen it before, and still good, and Dick Miller's actually great in it. When you started off right, bef right before you played the trailer and you were, you know, citing the remake. Yeah, how was that not um, good? Uh, I was worried there for a minute. I'm oh, like, yeah. did he what, did I not put the year? <laughs> that's the name the of The year of the movie in the he, list of movies? Well, wait a minute. Oh, wait, that's <laughs> the know. title of the episode. I want, that's all I wanted was to maybe get you, yeah, so that's good. <laughs> no, that remake is, is a lot of fun, too. Is it good? It's, it's, it's weird because you just don't expect to see those people those people <laughs> together. Like, yeah, Will Ferrell show. Uh, like Stoll's in the, there. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. I mean, I I think I still prefer the original. Paul Bartel. Yeah, Paul Bartel's in there. Uh, Darcy DeMoss. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it's it's oddly filled with, and it's hard to find because I mean it's on Tubi, but it's under the title "The Death Artist" hmm. and not "Bucket mm. of Blood." So I don't. But I think that was made during the era when Roger Corman produced. Like about six or seven remakes for either I think Showtime yeah. maybe it's under it's under TV movie ninety five. And my, so. Michael yeah. McDonald for Mad TV directed it. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Holy shit. That too. And Maybe we should do a sequels episode. Yeah. Can we? I just, I'm curious now. <laughs> Morbidly yeah, curious. I, I have no idea this even existed. <laughs> Me either. I thought Jason was just fucking with us. And it, <laughs> no, those are those people are in this. Yeah, it's wild. I'm looking at the IMDb. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And it's the it's the only one of those remakes that Roger Corman produced for this like series of films for Showtime that didn't just recycle footage from the others because they did a Piranha one, they yeah. did a Humanoids from the Deep one, mm -hmm. and all of them just all the money shots were just recycled from oh. the original film. But you can't do that with this one because the original is black and white, and you were in yeah. the you know the remakes in color, so it's all new material, and it's 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 pretty good, yeah. It's the Death Artist if you guys want to check it out, or maybe I should put it on a 
another list for the show. But we're talking about this one. Right. 1959. Everybody seen it before? First time for anybody? I've seen it before, and, and I was happy to revisit this one. First time for me, actually. Oh, cool. How fucking great is it to see Dick Miller in a lead? I know. Yeah, oh, man. He's so good. So, absolutely. I love that, love man. that guy. So, yeah, missed, missed the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and proof that, that Dick Miller, for me, this movie here is proof that Dick Miller just, like, will illuminate any movie... Yeah, like he will steal the show in any movie because he's basically playing kind of the same dumb-witted character as the sister movie to this, uh, the original Little Shop of Horrors, that, mm. that the character that Seymour in that one. But Dick Miller's performance just like overshines um, the other guy, John, Jonathan, I can't remember the guy who plays Seymour's name, of course. But uh, yeah, just totally outshines him as playing basically the same type of character, this like dim-witted guy that uh the horrors happen by happenstance Mm -hmm. i love the fact that this movie just blatantly makes fun of the of the beatnik scene oh yeah hardcore (laughs) it's like uh, it turns into like a like a snl sketch almost (laughs) Yeah. yeah i mean the the fact that you know they're just making fun of these people especially like the spoken word guy you know it's just like they're he he's He's so fucking pretentious that he just goes, I don't like repeating myself, you know? It's just like a waste of time, you know? If you don't... I'm like, are you fucking for real? It's like in that I mean, opening scene when Walter calls him out. He's like, I thought you said life is a blah, blah, blah. And, and, so, and the guy's like, uh, like correcting, you know, correcting Walter, even though he's just been caught in his own bullshit. Yeah. They, just, they, they throw together this word salad and they think that, that what they say is so, you know, poignant, you know, it's like they're so full of their own shit, they actually believe it. Yeah, sort of a satire on that whole scene, which mm-hmm. is, this is like a, yeah. uh, not just a horror movie, but also like a black comedy satire, which I right. love. Right, yeah. I feel like it's it leans more into the comedy than the horror, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've i seen this before, really loved it. Uh, like I said, love Dick Miller as a lead. Uh, I just, the the way that this sort of falls together, it's almost uh, Tucker and Dale where he just like keeps accidentally, yep. <laughs> and, and, that, and then it's like it, it advances his career and suddenly everybody starts liking him. So then he's like, oh shit, I got to keep topping myself. I love the scene where the cop is like, you know, that's what was it like? Was it cocaine or heroin? He was like, it was horse. Yeah, horse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he's like, he's like, what are you wrestling for? I, it's not my. I didn't. You know, it's just he plays that so well where he's just like, you know, innocent. You almost feel for him. Yeah. It's like, well, oh, yeah. why is he getting arrested? You know, you know that you know him. You know the story that it was tucked into his pocket. He's too dumb to realize what it is, and too dumb to realize he shouldn't pull it out in front of you. And then, yeah, he ends up accidentally killing him and turning him to art and and obviously like as someone who's who's uh went to school for art and you guys understand this too it's just like these pieces are so unbelievable like what what is it like <laughs> yeah. no, no one questions uh, you know the sculpture but it is it is funny that it like puts the mirror on the art scene and it's like people are finding meaning in the dumbest of things where he's literally murdering people and like plastering them and they're like oh it has they're finding meaning out of nothing, and that's what's funny about it, you know. 
Mm-hmm. That's what I, I sort of want to see this reboot. If they, I imagine with Michael McDonald directing and a cast that it almost <laughs> has to ramp that up where it makes fun of that even more. So, Plus, I, I love, you know, when, when you mentioned the, the cop scene, I was, you know, I haven't done a line of the movie in a long time, but I got to say my favorite line in this movie, uh, who, who's the girl that uh, gave him the, the heroin? Oh, God, I don't like, yeah, I don't remember. Well, whatever. But anyway, he says, that was so nice of her to give me that expensive horse. <laughs> you know, just the way that he, the way that he, he delivered that line, yeah. you know, it's like, man, that was so nice of her to give me that expensive horse. And he just turns away because he's so clueless about what the right. fuck is going on. It's so innocent. Like, so uh, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Naive. Uh, yeah, like just so uh, perfectly innocent and naive and uh, just – yeah in his deliverance and then like yeah later on with the girl that's flirting with him and yeah it's just this poor this poor innocent nice guy uh just yeah he just wants to fit in right yeah he just wants friends and wants he wants people to like him and yeah it's it's but it's funny yeah i've i love this movie i've seen it dozens of times like at one point i had i used to i don't anymore i couldn't even begin but at one point i had memorized the uh that opening poem there um but uh yeah and and not only i think is this just a hilarious satire on the beatnik scene and everything like that i kind of feel like it's never been confirmed but my uh, i've never been able to confirm it anyway but i have always felt like this movie was kind of like uh, autobiographical for Roger Corman in the fact that mm. here is a filmmaker who loves his craft, he loves what he's doing. He thinks he's making art, but he's making like, but what is was, but in the back of his mind, what is his peers thinking? Because he's making all these like schlocky B pictures and everything. So I kind of felt like it was um, a little, uh, a little on the autobiographical side. Um, uh, but yeah, and I love this, also this era of Roger Corman slash kind of this era of late fifties through the early sixties of, uh, like, uh, of horror or, you know, B grade movies where they, they, with the jazzy, uh, score. I just love that jazzy score throughout this movie, which I think is almost the, same score used for Little Shop of Horrors, honestly. It is exactly the same score. That's part. There you go. That nice. was in the trivia. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. I'm trying not to uh, get into <laughs> trivia spoiler territory because um, there's this, there's a lot of significance of this of this movie in the Roger Corman lore. But this is it, guys. This is the beginning of Walter Paisley. Like, how many times has since then, has Dick Miller played a character named either Walter Paisley or Walter or Mr. Paisley? So this no. is the first of ten. Ten, huh? Ten's the official count? Yes. I believe he was Walter in Chopping Mall before he got elected. Yep, he was Walter in Chopping Mall. Um, I think his I think his name was Mr. Paisley in The Howling. Uh, I think he... I think In uh, Night of the Creeps, I think his... His badge said W. Paisley or something like that on him. I'm trying to remember. Just a ton of movies. Well, 10. 7, 8, 9, 10. We did it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it's pretty low budget. What did was, what'd you say? 50,000? 50. Yeah. It seems like it's less than that. 
but uh, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I th- I feel like the uh, the low budgetness of it works. It 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 works for the film. But uh, we'll probably learn more about that when we turn it over to tra- tra- Tad with uh, trivia. Well, I I actually had like three pieces that we've already talked about, so I'm sort of scrolling <laughs> through now. Yeah. But uh, the, the not not only was the music reused from Little Shop of Horrors, uh, the sets for this film were used uh, in Little Shop of Horrors, and also were previously used in the Diary of a High School Bride. So the sets were used three times <laughs> in uh, two years for three different movies. Pretty uh, studio. Pretty uh, what would you say? Uh, stretching that dollar from yeah, Roger efficient. Corman. Yeah, pretty yeah. efficient. Not not cheap, efficient. Thrifty. Uh, Frugal. Uh, Anthony Carbone spends the entire film limping and walking with a cane. Uh, being a Roger Corman film, one might logically assume Carbone injured himself and just soldiered <laughs> on. But the fact <laughs> is, he was perfectly healthy and adopted the limp because he felt it would make his character more interesting. Hmm. Uh at the beginning of the original release, uh, there was a promotion in the newspapers uh, section and advertisers that said, if you bring a bucket of blood to your local theater's management, we will give you one free admission. Oh, my goodness. For Any that. kind of blood? That, I, 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 I would never put that in the newspaper <laughs> myself. I don't want to see what people show up with. And the fact that they'll spill it all over your theater. Yeah, forget that. Uh, Dick Miller was unhappy with the impact of the low budget of the film. He felt the film was had terrific potential to be a classic and liked the script and performances, but felt the lack of funding weakened some of the film's best moments. Sounds like uh, all actors. He cited the conclusion of the film, saying that it suffered due to little time and money for makeup effects. Yeah. And then uh, I guess this other one... Uh, Director Roger Corman and writer Charles B. Griffith went to coffee houses on the Sunset Strip to do research for the beatnik characters they would create for the film. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. I saw were... something here that Charles Griffith uh, claimed Corman was very uneasy about the idea of making a comedy, quote, because you have to be good. We don't have the time or money to be good, so we stick to action. <laughs> That's what Corman said. Well, the interesting thing about about this movie and why it keeps getting connected to Little Shop of Horrors is, you know, using the same music, using the same sets. They were basically shot back to back. It was almost like, um, it was like a joke. This movie I th- um, was made out of a joke between, uh, I think, Roger Corman and the producers of like, uh, hey, you have this money to make this movie, which was Little Shop of Horrors. And Roger jokingly is like, oh, I'll just make two movies with that. And basically that's what he did. And, and, you know, once they finished Little Shop of Horrors, which I can't remember if the Little Shop was shot in like four days or if it was Bucket of Blood that was shot in four days. This was shot in five days, Bucket of Blood. Oh, okay. Okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of then. But, uh, but yeah. Um, so this, this movie was like made as a, almost as a joke. Uh, well, they actually would uh, get confused before video and streaming. 
both this film and Little Shop of Horrors were confused with one another because they both had Dick Miller, um, mm-hmm. Myrtle Vale as the mother, had the same mm-hmm. score, featured dim-witted hero who achieves unexpected celebrity, ends up killing people <laughs> themselves yep, yep. and uh, to prolong their fame uh, and hide their yeah. crimes. So the very, <laughs> very similar it, when you yeah. strip away the, yeah. The plant, yeah, take yep. the plant away. And yeah, it's, it's funny, yeah, just like classic Corman to do that but he had he made two classics out of it you know mm-hmm. and well i feel like bucket of blood's comedy is is more in the satire like of the beatnik community and um little shop if you guys have never seen the original definitely goes more into the absurdity horror or absurdity comedy you know because dick miller plays a, a character who eats flowers and that's why he shops at the flower shop you have basically a literal dragnet parody um characters that are in this movie um so much i think one of them's called joe and the other one's called friday or something like that i can't remember but uh which you know all that was gone when they did the musical but yeah i love both these movies they are they are awesome that they are you know filmed back to back and do make a great double feature as well have you guys, have all you guys seen the original Little Shop? We watched it for the show not too long ago. Yep. And watched we it on did? Joe Bob. Yes, Mike. I was going to let it go and then you we, asked it. Yeah. I thought we watched the reboot. Yeah, we watched the we musical. Watched. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I remember us having a heck of a time finding a good copy. Oh, that was at your show. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, for Tab that. It oh, okay. That's what Phew. I was thinking of. Well, they, I know they, uh, Joe Bob had Roger Corbin on. It was like one of the pandemic episodes where they zoomed That's in. Right. But, uh, and it was horrible quality on Shudder. Oh, yeah, yeah, Joe Bob's. Really, and we watched it in a theater, so it was even worse. But uh, <laughs> just to hear Joe Bob and Roger Corman go back and forth was worth sitting through it. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. So, Tad, what's, what's the next movie we're going to talk about? Well, you won't won't guess, but this one's also from 1959. <laughs> it is Kaltiki, comma, the immortal monster. Ages ago, in a long-lost part of the world, the Mayans worshipped a terrifying goddess. To her, men offered their strength and their devotion. Women offered the beauty of their bodies. Altiki, the immortal monster. Today, courageous adventurers, dedicated scientists of both sexes, begin the exploration of recently discovered caverns buried in the very womb of the earth. From space beyond space comes force beyond measurement, energizing this monstrous mass of man-eating protoplasm that devours every living thing it touches. When her mate appears in the sky, the power of Kaltiki will destroy the world. You can believe what you like. Kaltiki's been reborn. All civilians are to remain in their homes until further order. Every precaution has been taken to combat the danger the city faces. And all citizens are urged to remain calm. That is all for now. Can anything on this earth stop Kaltiki? The immortal monster.
I don't know what was going on at the end of that trailer, but it sort of sounded like they were fucking Kaltiki. Um, <laughs> a team of archaeologists in Mexico encounter an, an amorphous blob-like creature that appears to be connected with the collapse of the Mayan civilization. So is this like a spaghetti monster movie? It's supposed to take place in Mexico, but it's made by Italians. Yep. Uh, and we it was have shot a, all in Italy, too. Yeah. yeah, but we have like a big like weird blob like creature but this is this is actually pretty cool like i'll say uh the the title is original had my attention from the get-go i turned it on was not aware that it was going to be subtitled so uh jokingly sort of gave you my crap for it earlier but um this is one way to make sure i pay attention to a movie is to <laughs> put on those subtitles and i found right. it actually like uh, it's pretty charming. Like I thought this was really cool. Like this, I dug this. Uh, th- I mean, these movies from the fifties and sixties with the giant monster are a dime a dozen, but this is well done. I thought it was shot really well. Uh, had some really tense moments. It was just different. And maybe it's that Italian feel to it or something where it's not like the f- sort of like your intro where it was, it wasn't like car hops and G Willie and, you know, just, the typical 59 stuff where uh, there's no beatniks in this. This is like scientists and uh, some, there's some uh, marital disputes in there, some, some uh, character conflict. Uh, but I thought this was pretty cool. what do you guys think? This is the first watch for me. So first time I saw this. Um, yeah. I like that, you know, just all the underwater, you know, exploring and stuff. And, um, just the whole, you know, any of the any of these kind of movies where you just you find some sort of ancient thing that should have been tucked away and you're not supposed to let it out and not supposed to screw with it. I always kind of like that aspect. Um, uh, I had a lot of fun watching, you know, and I should be a little bit nicer, but uh, I had a lot of fun with the miniature work that they did in this movie. Yeah. I, I found that <laughs> I found it kind of, it, you know, it it's was more entertaining, charming, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's, you know, Kaltiki, you know, is a, you know, apparently a very wet black towel from what I can yeah. tell. But, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. But, yeah, I, for, for what it did, for what it was, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I love the miniature work, too. And I really appreciate, you know, it, it might easy be easy to compare this to the blob. Because the, right. the creature concept is kind of similar. Um, it's just big mass of whatever goo and it like devours you when you touch it and whatnot. But, uh, but unlike the blob, it was like, and, and many other like large monster movies of this era, it's, it's all in camera practical effects. Um, so using miniatures and whatnot, um, I don't think... Except for maybe the shot where it's coming over the hill and all the military people are in the are in the foreground of the shot and it's coming over the hill, I think that might be the only superimposed shot. There, there's you know you don't even get like shots of like the actors um, in the in the frame and then the the blob creature in the fr- Kaltiki in the frame and it's super Kaltiki superimposed like everything is done practical and that is thanks to Mario Bava, who was originally um, hired to 
film all the effects works in this movie. And he's always been a filmmaker that will do his effects in camera, even if it's supposed to be like something that no, most normal people would do a superimposed shot. He'll figure out a way of doing a camera trick to to do it all practically in camera and not have to do it in post. Um, and from my understanding, I can't remember the director's original name, but he basically kind of just gave the reins over to Mario Bava. So I consider this yeah. a Mario Bava movie, even though he's Ricardo Frida. It shows him okay. uncredited on yeah. IMDb. Yeah. And, and and I first learned of this movie because of a documentary I saw about Mario Bava. And then they talked about Kaltiki and how he kind of directed, you know, a lot of the movie. So so it, it, it goes in my, if I ever get a copy of this on Blu-ray, because I've been meaning to get it, pick it up for a long time now, but it'll go on my Mario Bava shelf for sure. But I, yeah, I love this movie. It's been, I've seen it maybe a couple times. Um, oh, and those effects, man. 1959, how gruesome are those effects? I know, like the arm. Super, super sick. Yeah, yeah I loved it. I, so gnarly. Yeah. Definitely. I, I couldn't I believe, believe they were showing that. I forgot all about that. <laughs> Fuck. I mean, you see the face first, but then when they peel off the fucking arm, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just so gooey and everything. I loved Ugh. it. Or when the one guy is like totally consumed by Kaltiki there, closer to the uh, third act, and 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 it pulls back, and it's just that gooey what? skull. I mean, it's it's simple. It's just a skull, but the fact that the way they goo it up and everything just makes yeah. it so visceral and sick. I love it. It sort of adds to like the black and white adds to it too, like yeah, because you don't you're right. yeah. you, you don't see gore a lot of like gore in black and white. No. Like it's something. It's like I don't know what it is, but it makes me uneasy. Like even more uneasy, maybe because it was like I'm picturing myself in that time era. How freaked out people probably <laughs> oh were watching this God. shit. We're just so used yeah. to yeah, like yeah. you know. A fake electric bolt hitting someone and they turn into a skeleton, you know, or I think about like House on Haunted Hill with the skeleton on a fishing wire. And it's like, this is a fucking melting arm in front of us. We're seeing visceral (laughs) arm with still attached to the body. And holy shit. Uh, The only thing that kind of comes close that I can think of is the uh, the mask. Uh, Was it Black Sabbath? Yeah. Again, Mario Bava. Yeah. Black Black Sunday. Yeah, into oh, the Black face. Sunday. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And that that thing slams shut and just, bleh. and then yeah. it just squirts out when they exactly. slam it on her face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Tad's right. Also, Bava. Yeah. Sick I think Love. also like like Mike was saying about the practical effects. Uh, they not only Bava, you know, making them practical, but knowing the limitations and not trying to. It's like thinking about a shot. Well, this wouldn't look right with this actor with the the creature because it might compromise it. So let's just not do it. It's like your mind doesn't think about that. At least my mind doesn't like think like, oh, you know, there's a reason they're doing this until after I watch it and realize like, oh, they knew their limits. But knowing your limits is important, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Mario was one of the best at manipulating what is seen through that camera, so through that camera lens, absolutely. Yeah, it was first time for me. I agree with all the things you guys are saying. Um, 
that arm was gross. <laughs> I also, uh, this one more than the others, I felt maybe had more of that actual 50s sci-fi science-y-ness to it that, mm-hmm. you know, was just great from your 50s films. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited everybody <clears throat> liked it. It's it's not very well known, and so I'm happy to give it some uh, give it some attention here on the show. Uh, Tad, what do you got for trivia? There's all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, we sort of covered it already, but Ricardo Frida would later claim that he abandoned this project so that Mario Bava, who he knew yeah. would be a great director, would have a chance to direct. That's so, right. yeah, good move on there. Um, this is funny. The Kaltiki monster was made from cloth and tripe. Everyone working with the filming of the monster complained about the smer- the terrible smell <laughs> it let out. And uh, flies were such a problem during filming of the tripe-made monsters that sometimes a fly would land on the monster during filming and it would reveal the actual size of it. Awesome. Ruin the illusion. Um this is sort of fun and shows how uh, resourceful they are, too. The car crashing over the cliff is taken from The Crimson Ghost in 1946. Uh, the volcano erupting during the credits uh, show the same sparks flying into the air uh, nine times, and then a tenth time after Arturo Damascini climbs over the rocks after the credits. Uh, the sparks flying into the air are really an explosion from a war movie, so reused uh, footage ten times in this movie. Ten times. (laughs) Ten times. Uh, Yeah, and Mike said this too. Even though the film is set in Mexico, it was shot entirely in Italy. Uh, Filming of the cave grotto, director Mario Bava thought the water was too still. To remedy this, he lobbed a few small stones into the water to make ripples. You can catch this being done when the search party first comes down the stairs of the cave as Professor Fielding walks to the pool, you will see a few rocks thrown in the water from off camera. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So love it. Yes, love it. Man. And it just makes me want to watch more Bava. Hell yeah. Yeah. I got that Bava box that I need to work on. If only we had some unwrapped episode <laughs> coming up soon or something. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> if a little bit of influence on that, you know. But... <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for the trivia there, Tad. Of course. You're welcome. And, folks, that is it for the films of 1959. There was only three that were made that year. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I, the the shout-outs prove you wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll say, how many did Roger Corman himself make I in know. 1959? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could just do a whole episode of Roger Corman 1959 part one, two, three. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. All right, we're going to go back to the future and take a break so you can hear about our uh, promo for our podcast network, the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. The PFBN is home to a long list of unique shows, such as Geeking Poetic. What do you get when you combine a long-haired guy with a copious amount of toys, a bald guy with a love for truly abominable movies, and for good measure, throw in a wide-eyed girl that's dangerously, dangerously close to stalking sta- stalker status of all things Chris Pine. You get the Geeking Poetic co- Podcast. Join them as they weigh in on some of their favorite geeky, uh, geeky and beyond topics. 
uh, with just enough in common to like the same things but totally different perspectives. The guys will have a ton of subjects to debate. Check out Geeking Poetic and all the other shows at the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. Just go to thepfpn.com and enjoy. We will be back right after this. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the show, and it's time to hear from you guys, the listeners. Here's Jason with Shoutouts. It's time for Shoutouts! All right, we asked, what are your favorite horror movies released in 1959? And here we go on our Facebook page. We got Jacob McLaughlin, attacker. Jacob says, The Tingler. Yeah, I love The Tingler. Oh, it's so good. He says, A delightful B-movie from gimmick master William Castle with a pretty fun performance from Vincent Price. The puppet of the the walls, t- the, walls. <laughs> the <laughs> puppet of the titular creature may not have much articulation, but there is something genuinely creepy about a bug-like monster that is the length of a medium-sized dog. I'm also partial. Scream for your lives. I'm Sorry. also partial to Hammer's version of the Mummy. I think it easily surpasses Universal's original 1932 film. Oh. Bold statement. Yeah. Uh, Tim Leonard jumps in and says, also importantly, the Tingler puppet has Neopet feet. And then posts a picture of that. <laughs> uh, uh, so Tim says... You already oh, knew that. Okay, Jeez. I'm going to give the bronze to the giant Gila monster solely because Gila monsters are awesome. The silver medal goes to A Bucket of Blood, where Dick Miller plays an incel decades before the term got coined, killing people to stay in... With the in-crowd. The gold medal? The Tingler! A complete mess held together entirely (laughs) by the force of Vincent Price's performance. Plus, the audience participation segment is a complete hoot. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We got Brian Clark. He says, House on Haunted Hill is one of, if not the very first, horror films I ever saw. Oh, cool. It remains a favorite of both Price and Castle's Caltiki the Immortal Monster is a classic of the murder jello subgenre. <laughs> a milestone in the career of Mario Baba and has some fantastic miniature effects works work in the finale. Curse of the Undead is a profoundly underrated entry in the Universal Horror Catalog and one of the earliest examples of genre mixing as it's a horror western. Sweet. Curse of the Undead. Thanks, Brian. Up next, we got Lisa from the Bad Movie Bunny Podcast. She says, The Wasp Woman. Hands down. It's a lot of fun (laughs) on the big screen. 
sounds good. Isn't that another Roger Corman? I can't remember. We Probably. Can sounds like one. Yep. Yeah. I know they made a remake. Yeah, yeah. Nick Probably L- Roger Corman. <laughs> Nick Leadham <laughs> says, Attack of the Giant Leeches. Inspired Jacob and I to record at least one song, if not more. Roger Corman? Just kidding. Uh, Emily Randolph, new attacker Emily. Woo. She says, The Killer Shrews. I own this in a collection. Yes. Killer I shoes. love the killer like shoes. Like too man. much. It's weird. L- a little too much. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got attacker Hot Rod Hutchinson says, A Bucket of Blood, House on Haunted Hill, Return of the Fly, and The Tingler are my favorites for 1959. With so many creatures, creature features out, Dick Miller and Vincent Price owned that year. Need to revisit Plan 9 from Outer Space, though. Only seen it once. That was 59-2? Wow, what a year. Yeah, I was going to say, busy-ass year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So there wasn't anything on Instagram or Twitter, but that red light is blinking. Hey, everybody, Attacker Brian here. Sounds like this episode, we're going back to the year Mike and Jason were born, 1959. (laughs) (laughs) Watching some movies from their childhood. (laughs) So when I think of 1959, I go to the Roger Corman classic starring Dick Miller, A Bucket of Blood. What's better than A Bucket of Blood and some good old-fashioned artwork? I hope you guys take care and have a good day. Bye-bye. I just erased that message. Yeah, we gotta, we need to block his number. That's <laughs> what needs to happen. Oh, my goodness. Well, Did you guys take that on your rotary phone? Come on. Whatever. And if you would like to leave mean-ass comments like that on a voicemail. <laughs> Don't encourage the <laughs> listeners. We'll just, yeah, but we'll be happy to get voicemails. Yeah, that's true. Um, you can give us a call at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. Leave those voicemails. We will play them, obviously, no matter how <laughs> shitty mean they are, you turd. And that is shout-outs. But we are Godzilla. not... <laughs> Godzilla, um, I'm just going to probably speak for Tad and I. You know, you will probably get extra content from Tad and I, but uh, yeah, Jason and Mike are probably going to, you know, revoke your membership. So. <laughs> well, all right. One more segment to go. We got a Saints Picks. <laughs> So as you know, currently here on the Saints Picks, we are talking about movies that fall into that category, but from a different genre than horror. I am going to be covering a Peter Jackson film Ooh. this time around, but it's not going to be the obvious choice, oh. like Meet the Feebles. <laughs> I'm going Lord to be talking. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to be talking about his most unknown film, mm-hmm. one that nobody ever talks about. I'm covering one of Peter Jackson's earlier works. It's a movie that is a mockumentary from 1995 called Forgotten Silver. Woo! Yes. So good. Yes. The film is a fake documentary about the career of a supposedly forgotten pioneer in international cinema, Colin McKenzie, who was allegedly born in rural New Zealand in 1888. In the movie, Peter Jackson himself is in it, and he plays, well, himself. Uh, he discovers the lost films of Colin McKenzie, 
and uh, basically uh, figures out the whole history of this unknown filmmaker who basically in, uh, invented a lot of early technology in film, including the first dolly shot. Um, he was the first to make a movie with sound and also created color film. All of his... Um, all of these discoveries that Colin McKenzie had done, basically rewriting the history of cinema. Um, and the only reason why people did not know about Colin McKenzie back then is that even though he was really innovative in early film technology, uh, he was also extremely unlucky. Uh, his first color film was banned cause it had boobies in it. Um, and so stuff like that. So, uh, it's it's pretty funny. It's a it's a pretty funny movie, but it's it's played a thousand percent straight. Oh yeah. Um, basically, uh, the movie ended up in kind of a world of, uh, uh, war of the worlds kind of situation. Uh, the film first aired on television New Zealand's channel TV One, and when it first aired, it was billed and introduced as a serious documentary. <laughs> Many viewers were fooled until the director shortly afterwards revealed that it was all a hoax. This created quite a bit of controversy because there was a lot of angry viewers that wrote and complained to the network, um, you know, uh, <laughs> gave out threats, all kinds of stuff. It, would, it, it caused quite a bit of uh, upheaval there. I mean, and you know, here's the thing. When you watch it, you would be convinced too. Like I said, it plays a thousand percent straight. It all looks authentic. Um, there's no winking at the camera at all in this. And you know, if I was a native New Zealander and um, learned that this you know movie, uh, this Colin McKenzie would have basically rewrote the history of New Zealand and when it comes to cinema, and then found out it was fake, I'd probably be pretty pissed off too. The film, like I said, it plays 100% straight, but there is humor in the film, just in the fact that Colin McKenzie had such bad luck throughout his filmmaking career. Um, the film was also co-directed by uh, Costa Bates, or Bots. Uh, both Peter and Costa uh, worked really hard to recreate the look of old worn film. Uh, the process of aging the fake film clips, uh, the production team decided to avoid doing like post stuff like uh you know putting in line scratches and crap like that which they considered to be a bit too obvious and cliche the crew spent a great deal of time running the film that they shot for the for the colin mckenzie footage uh through dirt rubbing dust on it spitting on it um dragging it around on the floor of the basement of the processing lab facilities anything that they can do to beat it up to make it really to look real those make those uh, scratches and cracks and hairs and all that stuff 100% real instead of just doing post i highly highly recommend forgotten silver uh honestly i don't know where you can find it i don't know if it's ever been put on on blu-ray i'm not sure if it's streaming i have it on dvd um which at the time when it came out this was back way back in the day I like when Bad Taste first came out because I think it came out around the same time on DVD, and I ha it happened to catch my eye seeing Peter Jackson's name on it. I know. I remember when we first you first found it and we watched it. Mm -hmm. Did we even know it wasn't real, or we were just like excited there was a Peter Jackson movie we didn't know about? You know, because I 
I think I the whole like we time fell for we were kind of like looking at each other. It's like, is this real? This can't be real, right? Yeah. But yeah. we're just so excited to have this new Peter Jackson film. Exactly. I remember it, man. Yeah. It was so good. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, I definitely recommend Forget- Forgotten Silver. Hopefully you can find it somewhere. Um, to me, it's one of the best non-flinching mockumentaries that's ever been done. Um, and will constantly, as you watch it, make you question whether or not it's real or fake. But there you go. Forgotten Silver for this episode's of Insane's Picks. Yeah. And that is it uh, for this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Did it. Yeah. So, everybody out there listening, do you understand why now I chose 1959 for this episode's topic? Yeah, me neither. So, thanks so much for listening. Uh, Be sure to like and subscribe our YouTube channel and all the places that you listen to podcasts and whatnot. Um, I don't know how the internet works. Also, like and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a review. All that fun stuff. We have a TikTok now. You can check out the videos I'm doing on that. Um, But thanks for listening. Oh, yeah, and become an attacker. So that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye. Oh, no. Could this be the end of? (laughs) Attack of the Killer Podcast.